0: Hello and welcome to the New Franklin Assembly Podcast. We're so glad you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be starting a sermon series entitled, True Fellowship. The title of today's message is, Grows Together. Today, I want to start a new sermon series. I want to start talking about the church. Uh, in particular, I want to start talking about the fellowship of the church. I've been thinking about this for some time now. And as I've studied and as I've looked at this, uh, this topic, I, I kind of had become overwhelmed a little bit because the, the scriptures, especially the New Testament, it has a lot to say about the church. Uh, And when the church talks about fellowship, typically we are referring to the events when people of the church get together socially. And when we refer to that word fellowship, we're referring to the social activities of the church. Uh, We have our fellowship meals, and we have a lot of them, and that's awesome. Uh, And no particular event, we just get together and we have a meal together because it's fellowship. We're talking, we're enjoying each other, and we're eating together. And we have our fellowship activities and like the, the swim party or the fellowship functions like the church picnic and other things. And and even when we do ministry together, it's an outreach or it's, it's, it's whatever it is we're, we're serving. It's in a church activity meant to, to disciple or to evangelize or whatever it is we typically refer to the time when you know, we, we, we converse with those we're working with as the fellowship aspect of it. You know, we're ministering, we're light the night or, or VBS, and, but there's fellowship that takes place because we are socially engaging with those we're working with. But it's the, that, that social aspect is considered the fellowship aspect of what we're doing. But I believe the word fellowship in the Scriptures Refers to a lot more than just the social activities or the social uh, communications uh, of a particular church or body of believers. The book of Acts records the founding of the New Testament church. It's it it basically is the roadmap for us. Uh, it's the roadmap for us when we seek to establish a true scriptural life or. a true scriptural ministry, a church. Acts 2.42 says this, one of the key verses in the book of Acts, it says, they devoted themselves, they being the church, the Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this is one, again, this is one of the key verses in the book of Acts. It is the foundation of in which every church should be built upon. we use the word fellowship as synonymous with uh, as, some, as a synonymous word to the word church. it's fellowship it's the church but the scripture tells us that the church devoted themselves to the fellowship so, they didn't see it as a synonymous word. The Greek word for the word devoted, remember that verse, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. The Greek word, I I won't pretend I know how to pronounce it, but it's proskertere. And so there it is. That's why I put it up there. But it basically means to be constantly engaged in. To be constantly engaged in. In other words, the first century church was constantly engaged in four main disciplines, the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, which we can consider the worship of God, and prayer. And so fellowship is listed among the four main disciplines of the church. And of all four of these disciplines, I believe it is the fellowship of the believers that is either the most misunderstood or maybe the hardest to abide by. And we'll see that perhaps a little bit today. What does the Scripture mean when it says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship? How exactly were they constantly engaged in the fellowship? this is the thought that I want to explore for the next few weeks. And so the title to this sermon series is True Fellowship. True Fellowship. Think about that word fellowship for a moment. Fellowship refers to, to the commonalities that we share as a group of people together. Our common faith in Jesus is the foundation to that fellowship, our common desire to worship God and to please God and to live for Him forms our fellowship. Our common call to serve God and to serve His purpose on the earth, again, forms our fellowship together. But fellowship is more than a group of individuals that share a common faith, or share a common message or mission. It's more than that. Paul teaches us that the church is the body of Christ. And we'll get into that today, but I think today's definition of fellowship somehow loses something in translation in light of the way Paul refers to it, as a living body so let's turn to first corinthians chapter 12 today first corinthians chapter 12 now i want to read verses 12 through 27 a familiar portion of scripture but let's read it in its context and then we'll look at it closely it says this the body is a unit and though it is made up of many parts and and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, there would where would the body be? are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Well, let's stop there. Again, the title to the sermon series is True Fellowship. The title to today's message is Grows Together. Put that phrase together, and you have what? True Fellowship Grows Together. Let's say it again. Together. True Fellowship Grows Together together. I'm not a repeat-after-me kind of pastor, but that was kind of good. It was unexpected, right? That's awesome. True fellowship grows together. I think we need to remember the distinction between the faith we hold as individual Christians and the purpose that we have as a people of faith. Our faith in Christ, yes, it is very personal Our spiritual maturity is our own personal responsibility, which means you can't blame me, the pastor, for your lack of spiritual growth. It means you can't blame the church for your lack of spirituality. Your faith is very personal. We each run our own race. We each fight our own fight. We each hold on to our own faith. But there is a reason why God added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's another key verse in the book of Acts. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so even though we have our own personal walk of faith, He has added us to the church for a, for a reason. The church doesn't only exist to help us grow as individual Christians. Yes, it does do that. But that's not the only reason. The church exists also to fulfill the purpose and the mission of God on the earth. And that can never be done by lone Christians, lone rangers. It must be accomplished through the church. Which means that as a body, as a group of people looking to fulfill God's purpose, we are only as healthy and only as strong as our weakest member. Let me say that again. As a body, as a group of people looking to fulfill God's mission on the earth, in our community, we are only as healthy, and we are only as strong as our weakest member. Physical bodies, think about it, they do not function properly if one part of the body doesn't grow as strong or as equally as the other parts of the body does. My brother Anthony has been disabled since he was three years old. We are 11 months apart, so he is 50 years old. You can do the math, I'm 51. But he's been disabled since he's been... He was three years old. He was hit by a car when he was three years old. And it was, um, it, left his, it was brain damage for the most part on his left side, so his right side of his body is very weak. It doesn't function properly. The right side of his body didn't grow as strong uh, as the left side. It doesn't function the way the left side does. Now, the left, his left arm and his right leg are hulkishly strong. When I say hulkishly, I mean, as a kid, you know how, you know, as a kid, you, you, you're teasing your friends or your, and you give them that dead leg and you kind of knee them in the, well, you could not hurt my brother Anthony in that leg or that arm. He used to tease us and says, go ahead, try it. His, his arm was as big as a softball, hard as a rock. His leg, I mean, we used to take our knees and go, and he would laugh. And then he'd do it to us, and we'd be on the floor with his left And so he's hopelessly strong on his left side. However, though his left arm and left leg are hopelessly strong, though they are above average when it comes to strength, his overall function and his overall effectiveness are still less than the average person because of the right side. He has not, my brother Anthony has accomplished a lot in life and he has had to work harder at accomplishing what he has accomplished, but it's not as much as you and I. My point is this, the strongest people among us here in our fellowship cannot compensate for the weakest among us. You getting this? You see, we have some people of strong faith here in our church. We have some strong men and strong women of faith in our fellowship. But our overall growth and our overall strength as a body is still affected by the weakest among us. Can we still accomplish God's will? Yeah, of course we can. But we will have to work much, much harder at accomplishing what we do. We must, what? Grow together. As our, uh, uh, we must grow together, or our growth as a church will be limited, or even stunted. Now, again, that seems pretty harsh to say someone else's walk of faith is going to affect the overall function of the church, but that's Scripture. You see, now, the temptation, the temptation is to blame the weakest among us. But that's not the way we would devote ourselves to the fellowship. When they say they were devoted themselves to the, to the fellowship, what they're saying is that they were devoted, they had devoted themselves to what? To even the weakest among them. They, voted, they, were devoted, they had devoted themselves to strengthening the weak among them. The temptation is to focus only on our own spiritual maturity and our own spiritual walk and let other, others concern themselves with their walk of faith or let the, the strong in our church, the spiritually mature in our church, the influences and the authorities of our church, let them take care of the weakest among them. But that's not the picture we get when we look at how they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And to be honest, as I was thinking about this, I began to think through this. I think the argument can be made that if the church I belong to is stunted in their spiritual growth, then my personal spiritual growth will most likely be stunted as well. I don't know. I think the argument can be made there. But it doesn't have to be that way because, again, my spiritual growth is my own personal responsibility. But as one member of a whole, the health of the whole is, affects the individual. So how do we grow together? How do we function more effectively as a church on a mission? Are we a church on a mission? Yes, we are. Well, point number one is this. For true fellowship to take place, one, one. We must grow in unity. Growing together means growing in unity. The only way a fellowship will grow together is if it is deliberately or intentionally growing in unity. It just doesn't happen. We need to be deliberate and intentional. True fellowship grows in unity. It's not just the growth of the individual that gathers the individuals that gather in one place. No, it's the common growth of the fellowship looking to fulfill God's mission. So how, and this is how Paul describes a, a unified body in the scripture that we just read. In in verse 18, Paul says this. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. And then in verse 24, it says this. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that, <clears throat> that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, I underlined the one phrase in each one of those verses. Verse 18 says, God has arranged the parts. And then in verse 24, it says, God has combined The members. I think sometimes we forget. Uh, Let me put it this way. I think sometimes when we work with someone else in the church, we forget that God has arranged for that person to be there. I think when we work together sometimes as a church, we forget, we lose sight of the fact that God has combined that person to be with us in that particular situation. So in other words, and this is, this is where you're beginning to realize that, you know, this is not your most feel-good message, <laughs> but I think it's right where we are, right where we need to be. The person you may have a problem with is the person God has arranged you to be with the person that you may have a problem with may be the person that God has combined you with you see when we limit the word fellowship to be a social activity Well, we can get along with just about anybody, right? Because it's social. I can put on a smile. I can just pretend, you know, I can... As long as I'm not working with that person, it's a social activity, so I can... We get along. We're very close as a church. We get along. There's no divisions in this church. We get along. We talk to anybody. When we limit fellowship to that social activity, it's easier to hide our feelings, our emotions, or our differences. But when fellowship includes working together towards a common goal, well, how many know it's harder than sometimes to put your differences aside, your differences of opinion or your different personalities aside. The longer we work together, the harder it is to hide those things. So let me put it bluntly. If you have a problem with someone... If you have a problem with what someone is doing in the church... If you have a problem with the way someone is doing it in the church, if you have a hard time hiding your differences or your negative feelings towards someone in the church, and let me me pause and say this, you may think you hide it well, but you don't. If you have a hard time with someone, it's visible. I see it, and I'm sure others see it. But if you have a problem with someone in the church, then you need to bring that problem to me. Ultimately, you bring it before the Lord, but you bring it to me because when you don't, all you do is sow disunity. All you do is compound the problem. All you do is stunt the growth of the church as a whole and stunt your own personal growth along with it. And so it must be dealt properly. Again, I'm your pastor, and so I take it, and it's my responsibility to place people in positions where I think God would want them to serve. It's just the way it is. Sometimes, I, I, maybe a little bit more than sometimes, I get it wrong. I know that, and so I need to adjust. Sometimes it's a wait-and-see situation. Let's see if this works. And then all the time, and, and sometimes it's very clear, oh, that was a big mistake, let's, let's back the train up. And other times, oh, I don't know, maybe we could take some things out of it and adjust. It's a wait and see. Sometimes it's right on the mark, even though it may not seem that way right away. Either way, it's my job to make sure people are where they're supposed to be. I have help, I have the, the church council, I have the church board, I have the people I, I listen to and, and look to, and so we function as a body, as, as, as an organization that wants to accomplish God's will. So if there's a problem with the way someone is serving, well, that's on me. That's not on them, so you need to bring that to me. I'll deal with it, not you. But let me also say this, if you have a problem, and I speak, let me say this, I speak this out of experience because I was that person with the, having the problem with others for many years. If you have a problem with working and serving with someone in this church, then I have discovered nine times out of ten, the problem is not with them, it's with you. Because I, I discovered that about my own life. Listen to the part of that verse again in verse 26. Paul says, Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Look at the first part. "Its, Its parts should have equal concern for each other. Let me tell you why sometimes that's difficult especially in this setting, and it's not just unique to this church. I've seen it everywhere. We have a lot of family here, don't we? There are grandparents that have their kids and their grandkids here, and it's not just one family. It's it's a lot of us. So I have my wife. I have my daughter sometimes helping. I, I have family. You have family. There's multiple generations here. That is wonderful. That's a testimony. But I can tell you, Sometimes it's hard to have equal concern with different members. See, at home, she's my wife, she's my daughter. In the church, she's one member of many. And so to have equal concern for others, I need to be aware that in church, my wife just fills a role, within the function of the whole body. And so I cannot have more concern for her and her feelings and her desires and her wishes and wants than with someone else in the church. You get my meaning? In my older years, I'm beginning to discover the strengths and the benefits of all of our differences. Can you see that? I mean, I know I'm not alone in this. There is a benefit to having differences. I'll give you an illustration. Some of you have heard me talk about my friend, Pastor Will. Um, Pastor Will and I were on staff at the church in Lancaster for seven years. I was, uh, he was my friend. Pastor Will has since passed away. He is enjoying his reward in heaven today. But Pastor Will was one of the campus pastors of New Life Church. He was the city campus pastor. And every once in a while, I found myself having to help Pastor Will on a Sunday morning, as, you know, sometimes by preaching or teaching on a Sunday morning, other times by leading worship. Um, And at first, I'll be honest, at first I didn't really like it. I didn't realize part of my job as being on the staff at the main campus was to help some, some of the, the campus pastors with different things. And, and I found myself leading worship sometimes uh, at the city campus or preaching or teaching or doing something at the city campus. And at first, it was hard for me to enjoy that. Pastor Will and I had very different personalities. I am more analytical in my thinking I still haven't figured out the way Pastor Will thinks or thought. You see, he was very creative. Again, I was very analytical. I like math and science because there's no room for interpretation. Two plus two will always equal four. No ends, ifs, buts, or about it. When I color something, I color in the lines. You see, art class was my least favorite subject in school. The only painting I enjoyed, remember the old paint by number? Yeah, all number ones were blue. All number twos were red. All number threes were green, whatever it was. And I like that because my mind thinks that way. I'm not very creative that way. I like structure. I like organization. I have a hard time with people who are not. I'm just built that way pastor will was the exact opposite pastor will was the exact opposite of of structure he was an artist he loved to paint he loved to paint murals on the side of the church building i mean it was a city campus and he 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 was just very good at it he was only organized in his own mind he didn't follow any structure at least any that made sense to the rest of us. He was typically late for staff meetings and things like that, which still I have a hard time understanding. But was it more important to be on time in a staff meeting or to take your time praying for someone in the streets? That's the way he thought. One time early on, I asked, I was asked to lead worship at the city campus. It was early on. I didn't know him too well. Uh, I put a lot of time... And those who know me, know that I put a lot of time into leading worship. Terry had a little glimpse of that this week. She was up there working on the computer, and I was back and forth between the office and the piano and the office and the piano trying to pick a song, throwing this one out, changing this key, and and just, I I think through it a lot. I I think through the words of each song. I think through the timing of each song, how it flows from one song to the next. I think about the keys, what keys to sing. You know, this was the key of C. That's a little bit higher range, Uh, for me to sing and for you to sing but at the same time to change keys is difficult so you know i think through that i try to think through how people are going to respond to each song and 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 the worship time in between each song and having thought through the song set for that particular sunday i came to church early to the city campus early and Pastor Will was going to help me by playing the drums. He was a drummer, and so he played the drums. I was going to lead from the keyboard and sing from the keyboard. Well, we get there early, and he takes a look at the songs. I had made a copy. He didn't have to make copies. I had given him, him set. I had my set. I was all prepared. And he's, the, remember, he's the, 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 the lead person at that campus. And so he looks at the songs, he says, you know, and, and he begins to change things. He switched the order. Now, let's do this first, do that second. He changed the key of one of the songs. You see, now I've got to learn the song all over because I don't know that key. So he even eliminated one song and added a new song that I had to learn. Listen, I'm all for being flexible, but come on, Pastor Will. A little too much here. It took a while but Pastor Will and I, and I miss that man. Pastor Will and I got to the point where we worked really, really well together. I learned so much from that man. I learned that he brought a strength to the pastoral staff that to the pastoral staff there that no other pastor had, and there was eleven of us at one point. I learned the difference. I learned that differences in our personalities, they don't have to cause disaster. I learned that our differences actually created a powerful dynamic for the work of God. The person you have a problem with here at our church, if you do, the personality you have a hard time working with, just might be the person that God wants to combine you with to form a dynamic duo. I spent a lot of time on that point, so I'll I'll move on now. But it's an important point. If we grow, true fellowship not only takes place... For true fellowship to take place, we must grow in unity. Point number two, we must grow in obedience, in obedience. Before Paul writes about the church being the body, the scripture we read in 1 Corinthians 12, he writes about how each member of the church has been given certain gifts by the Holy Spirit. Again, earlier we read 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 12, but in 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 4, it says this. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This point kind of overlaps what we've been talking about, what we've just talked about when it came to the differences. But those differences are arranged and combined by God for the common good of the church. And the same goes with the gifts that God gives to each person within this church. The last part of that verse says this. To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given, again, for the common good. Now remember what we saw in the earlier verses. Verse 18 says God has arranged the parts. In verse 24 it says God has combined the members. But backing up a little bit, in verse 8 it says God has given the gifts. So in other words, God has, in verse 8, given gifts... Verse 18, God has arranged the parts. And verse 24, God has combined the members. So God is very active in His church, isn't He? This applies to each and every person that calls this church their home church. Whether you are a regular attender or not, whether you are an official member or not, whether you are in a place of influence or authority or not, God has arranged for you to be here. God wants to combine you with, other, with others within this church. God wants to use the gifts that he has placed inside of you for the common good of this church, ultimately for this community. There is a reason why God led you to this church. There is a reason why you are here. There is a reason why you have the gifts that you have. And I don't think for a moment, and I should say don't think for a moment, that you are not gifted, because you are. Whether you realize it or not, or whether we realize it or not, God has placed in you valuable gifts that he wants to arrange and combine with the rest of the members of this church. You are gifted. Again, you may not think you are very important to the work of God here at New Franklin Assembly. But without you, we are incomplete. Without your gifts, we don't function properly or to our full potential. Without you, our growth as a whole is stunted because God has arranged and wants to combine you with the rest of us. So let me encourage you as your pastor to obey the Lord, and connect yourself to a greater degree to this church and to the body of believers that God has assembled together. You belong here. We need you here. And your obedience to the Lord helps and benefits the rest of us. Now, to the ones who are already well-connected, to the ones who are already combined by God in a great degree to this church, to this fellowship, let me say this. Don't think for a moment that your gifting is any more important to the work here simply because you have been around longer. Your gift is no more important and no less important than someone new to the church. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. There is no level of importance within the body of Christ. There is rank and authority. I am no more important than, than anybody here. I hold a higher authority. God brought me here to be your pastor. There's the board. There's the elders. There is rank and authority within God's kingdom, but there is no level of importance. And so you are just as important. Because if you are not functioning in in your gifts, then as a whole, we're less than what what we can be. Your obedience, for those who are well-connected, your obedience is not necessarily just utilizing your gifts because you've been doing that for a long time. We have a a good group of people, a good core group of people that are just using their gifts for the Lord. That is awesome. But your obedience now comes in making room for other people's gifts. Your obedience now comes in making others feel like their gifts are welcome and wanted. Your obedience comes in seeing the value in something that they bring to the table. Even if what they bring to the table is something you're not used to seeing or accustomed to. Your obedience comes, again, in concerning yourself or devoting yourself to them. Point number three. Again, for true fellowship to take place, we must grow in unity, we must grow in obedience, and finally, we must grow in love. It's no coincidence that after Paul talks about the gifts that God wants to give to his people... After he talks about um, how he arranges and how he combines those gifts uh, and people into one body, he then begins talking about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know it to be what? The love chapter. Now, Paul never wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to be only used in the context of wedding ceremonies. You see? Paul wrote this chapter in the context of talking about the fellowship, talking about the body of Christ, the gifts that God gives to each member of the body, the roles that each person plays within this church, the different functions we fulfill as a member of this body, they mean nothing if not done with a deep love for God, if not done uh, out of a deep love for the work of God and out of a deep love for the people of God. Everything we do and everything we uh, say, everything we display, I'm sorry, everything we do and everything we say must display love. Unfortunately, it sometimes doesn't come across. Sometimes you see, let let me say it this way. I, again, I could spend weeks in the, on this, but I won't. Let me let me see. Sometimes I believe we mistake love and passion. What's the difference? Well, I'm passionate about organization. <laughs> I'm passionate about starting on time, or or, or something like this. And sometimes, those who are not as passionate as I am about starting on time, about doing something a certain way, or, uh, you know, as organized as I am, that bothers me. I used to get angry about it, but I'm just more passionate about those things. So... When someone is not on time for me, and I like to be on time, ask my wife if I'm not 15 minutes early, I feel late. That's just how I'm built. So if you're not on time, that bothers me. I'll just let you know. You know, you you could do with that what you will. But it bothers me. So, sometimes my passion For being on time comes across more important than my love for the person who's late in how I speak to that person and how I talk to that person. I'm not displaying love for that person. I'm displaying a passion for being on time. (laughs) And we confuse love with passion. And God calls us to love. Let's read some of First Corinthians 13 and go through it a little bit. I just have a few more minutes. First Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7 says this, Love is patient, love is kind, love, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So let's look at a few of those. I won't, like I said, 1 Corinthians 13, you can spend a lot of time with that for weeks and weeks, but we won't. It says love is patient. Now, I know that some people test our patience more than others. It's a fact of life. Pastor Will was that kind of person for me at first. But the more intentionally patient I was with him, and let me say this, the more intentionally patient he was with me, because he, he probably had to, sh- to work harder at, at, you know, I had a lot more that I needed work on than he did. The more we were intentional about being patient with each other, the more we grew to love each other. Love is kind, it says. It's not rude. We can combine those two together. Guys, again, let me say this. I hear about the complaints, whether you realize it or not. Sometimes I know. People complain to the right people knowing that it'll get back to me. You want it to get back to me. I wish you would come to me. I I really would. I I would not get upset. If you have a problem, please come to me. I I hope I'm not standoffish in any sort of way. And if I ever have been, forgive me. But you don't have to complain to someone knowing that it'll get to me. You don't have to do that please come to me. But sometimes you don't want it to come to me. Let me tell you, it does. I hear about the, and, and not that we have a lot of it. We, we are a good fellow. I am glad to be a part of this. But we are a body. It happens. Even my brothers and I, my closest family, my children, they, they bicker. It happens when you are close with, with, with family. In my experience, I've seen that sometimes the seemingly most loving person can also be the most rude. Have you ever experienced that? And again, that goes back to the the difference between love and passion. Because we're confusing the two. Anyway, I'll leave that alone. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Again, love is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrong. That's a hard one. Keeps no record of wrong. Listen, I put a lot of effort in what I do, and especially when what I do affects everyone around me or, or others around me. So when someone else doesn't take seriously something that I take very seriously, again, it bothers me, like the being on time thing. But I've learned that even if the person I am angry with is in the wrong and I'd like to think that I don't get angry unless the other person is wrong. I think we all like to think that way. I've learned that sometimes I'm right about that, sometimes I'm wrong. But even if the person that I get angry with is completely in the wrong, my anger is my problem, not theirs. And I need to deal with it. If someone in, the church is easy, if someone in this church easily angers you, then pray that God would give you a greater love for that person. Love always, it says, protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. In other words, love never gives up on anyone. That's what we're called to do here as a church, as a fellowship. And so in closing, I'll say this. God has called each and every one of us to be a part of this, what, church, part of this fellowship. He calls us to devote ourselves to each other as a fellowship, to be constantly engaged in the fellowship of this church. True fellowship isn't about how many social activities we engage in. True fellowship isn't about how well socially we get along with each other. True fellowship grows together. True fellowship grows in unity. Our differences don't have to cause disaster. But if you want to post something, by the way, that's the, that's the, that's the one. That's, that's the one to remember and write down. Our differences don't have to cause disasters. Our differences can create a powerful dynamic. True fellowship grows in obedience. God has arranged for you to be here. God has combined you with others around you. God has gifted you for service in this fellowship. So we ask you to be obedient to the Lord and connect yourself to a greater degree to the overall mission of the church. Your obedience blesses us all. And finally, true fellowship grows in love. My lack of love is no one else's problem but my own, so I need to deal with it. I am so very grateful to be a part of this fellowship. I really am. Julie and I are overwhelmed to be a, and very proud, I should say, to be a part of, of this church, to this fellowship. Though I am not as unified as I want, as much, uh, uh, though I am not as unified, obedient, and, and, and even loving as I would like to be sometimes, I thank God for all the ones who encourage me and motivate me and are patient with me to be, and are devoted to this fellowship alongside of me. I pray that you feel the same way with those that God has surrounded you with. And so, again, true fellowship grows together. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in us and through us, for the plans that you have for us, for the mission that you have given us to reach our world, to reach our community, God. Lord, we thank you for those that you have arranged to be here with us. We thank you for those that you have combined us with to serve together. So I pray that we would grow together, that we would co- be constantly engaged in the fellowship of those you've brought together, that we would see great things take place through us, that we might reach a community, God, that we would see the lost saved, the unchurched, come and rededicate their lives. God, I pray for children to grow strong in your word and your ways. Lord God, that they would be called to the ministry even from within these seats in these classrooms, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are the head and we are the body. Teach us your ways now that we might devote ourselves to the fellowship the way the first century church has We love you, Lord. Lord, we pray this in your name, amen. Hello everyone, this is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.